Welcome to the Mary's Cup of Tea podcast. I'm your host, Mary Jolkowski. I'm an author, speaker, and all-around self-love advocate. And this is the podcast that'll inspire you to love yourself. Hello, my self-lovers. Welcome to another episode of the Mary's Cup of Tea podcast. I'm going to keep this introduction short because this episode with Jesse Jean is just so juicy and I cannot wait for you to hear it. But in case you don't know who Jesse is, she is a certified mind-body eating coach who turned her decade-long struggle with food and body into her mission. Now she helps women all over the world end the fight with food using unique brain-based techniques so they can have a peaceful relationship with food and unshakable confidence in their bodies. Actually, what you may not know is that Jesse and I are close friends outside of the internet. And what's even crazier is that I used to follow her back in my fitness days, and she was a huge role model for me back when we were both bodybuilding and doing these competitions. And then a couple of years later, I refound her with this brand new message. So it's a huge full circle moment for me. And I am continuously just so inspired by Jesse's vulnerability and strength and growth. Jesse has actually been on the Mary's Cup of Tea podcast a couple of years ago in episode number 17, where we talk specifically about the science of food freedom and tools and techniques that are very tactical for overcoming binge eating. So if you want to listen to that episode afterwards, I highly recommend you do so. But I figured since this was my second interview with Jesse, I wanted to go a couple different directions and just expand the range. So in this episode, Jesse talks to us about how to create and nurture meaningful adult friendships I think making adult friendships is difficult and can be intimidating, and I found myself taking notes as Jesse was talking because some of these tips are just so good, I'm implementing them right away. Jesse also vulnerably opens up to us about her explant surgery, and we talk about just cosmetic surgeries in general and how we feel about injections and Botox and reconciling the fact that beauty exists and sometimes it can be very empowering and other times it can be pretty disempowering. So we talk about how to stay grounded in yourself and who you are, despite the plethora of toxic beauty standards around us. And also, my favorite part of the episode is when Jesse talks to us about how connecting to your sexuality can help heal binge eating. Y'all know I love exploring pleasure and how powerful it can be to connect to your body physically. So of course I get nosy and I ask Jessie for her tips for exploring sexual pleasure, both solo and with a partner. And on that note, speaking of partners, Jessie is also in a wonderful marriage that, again, I'm just so honored to know her in real life, but truly when I see her and her husband coexist together, me and boyfriend talk a lot about how their relationship is one of our role models. So we talk about how to build a healthy romantic relationship and a lot of what Jesse and Hung have gone through has made them stronger in the end. So it's very inspiring. Jesse is incredibly inspiring and I hope you enjoy this wide-ranging and lovely conversation with Jesse Jean. Oh wait, I almost forgot. If you want more of Jesse, highly recommend you go listen to the Dear Body podcast. I am on her podcast as well. So I think that's episode 144 or 145. You could probably just search Mary Dear Body Podcast and my interview will come up. But I really, really loved this conversation and the one we had on her podcast because we are close friends outside of the internet. So it's just more real and vulnerable. And I just share a lot of things that I haven't shared before. So Go take a listen to that afterwards. Okay, for real this time, please welcome Jesse Jean to the Mary's Cup of Tea podcast. Hey, Jesse, thank you so much for being here on the Mary's Cup of Tea podcast again. So happy to be back. Thank you for having me. It feels very surreal to do like a round two with one of my favorite guests because it's giving me a vibe of like, I've had this podcast for so long that now I can like do a second round with... You know what I mean? So fun. And I'm excited that my first time doing round two is with you, as I'm sure our listeners are. I think I just assume everybody knows you because like, how could you not know Jesse? <laughs> but everybody, this is one of my closest friends, Jesse. We met on the internet and I've told you before that I've been following you since like my fitness days. Which is wild. 
Yeah, we have a very similar story. And then I refound you when we were like on a very similar path. So I just love that connection. Thank you for being here. Welcome to the show. I'm so happy to dive in. And what's cool about this being round two is I feel like I've grown since the last time that we've connected. And I'm really excited about, yeah, just new ideas and information and hopefully, yeah, new value to add to your listeners. Yeah. And I'll definitely link your first episode in the show notes. Although, yeah, I feel like I've come so far in even just a year that it feels good to do this again. Before we dive into our conversation on pleasure and sexuality and body image and binge eating, which I think will be very juicy, I want to start in an unlikely place because I listened to one of your recent episodes and you were like, I saw this question on my friend's Instagram and her name is Mary's Cup of Tea and my heart just like leaped out of my chest that I got into your episode. And the question, and somebody asked me this question on, on Instagram was, what are you quietly passionate about? And you started talking about friendships and how important it is for you to be a good friend. And I know you've been open about best friend breakups and friend struggles. And I think that's something that affects so many people, especially women. And for me, best friend breakups have been harder than some romantic breakups. And so I'm wondering if you could just tell us your experience with that, as much context as you're comfortable with, because I know you personally. I'm also wondering how that led into actually some of the work that you're doing today. Mm-hmm. Yes. I am definitely quietly, well, probably not in my real life. I, I guess I just quietly in terms of, I guess I don't talk about it too much on social media, but yes, very passionate about becoming the friend that I want to have and want to attract. And I didn't always used to be that way. I very much so operated in survival mode and I did so because I felt like I had to in order to survive. I was struggling in so many different ways in my adolescence and childhood and into my early 20s just with food and body and all these different fears about if I don't make it and become something, I don't have anything to fall back on. I wanted to get out of the situation that I was in. I wanted to make something for myself. And so I was just addicted to achieving and it was from a pretty, you know, it helped me move forward and it helped me create security, but it also, there was a lot of wreckage in that because I was so narrowly focused on accomplishing my goals and making sure I did make it and making sure that I built something for myself that in that process, I wasn't a good friend. And I don't think I was necessarily a bad friend. I just wasn't present and I wasn't intentional and I didn't notice things and I wasn't thoughtful. And through some of those friendships evolving and losing some friends, it was a big wake-up call for me. And I'm very grateful for the pain of those friendship breakups because without it, I don't know if I would have woken up to this opportunity to grow. And yeah, I've had a couple of friendship breakups and they've been, like you said, more painful than an intimate partner because I don't know why, just it, it hurt really, really bad. And it caused me so much insecurity, but also in the midst of kind of hitting rock bottom in that area of my life, it became this really cool place for me to rebuild who I was as a friend and who I wanted to be. And now the level of intentionality I put into my friendships has been so fulfilling and enriching for me personally and has allowed for such cool connection with a number of different individuals, I am so grateful for that pain. And I truly believe that beauty can come from the ashes of our life if we are willing to allow that to happen. And I don't wish pain on anybody's life, but pain is an incredible teacher. And so I don't take 100% responsibility for all of the, you know, kind of the breakdown of friendship, but I do think that I certainly played a role in it. And so, yeah, it's been quite the journey of growing. And I lost a really good group that was 
really special and, and they meant a lot to me. And I didn't know that I would be able to create that again. And making friends as an adult is hard. And it left me feeling so insecure about who I was and what's wrong with me. And am I too much? And why didn't they understand that, you know, I'm just trying to pursue taking care of myself. I don't have things to fall back on like they did. And there was so much in me that so much pain in me that had to be healed. And I went to years and years of therapy to talk about this pain and nothing healed it like setting my mind to becoming a really good friend. Because in that I've had some very profound experiences with quite a few different people that have been so healing for my soul. And I'm so grateful for those experiences. And today I have just such a dynamic group of friends that I feel so blessed to have the people in my life that I have in my life. And we often will get together and we'll do different trips and cabins. We were just in Austin, a big group of 10 of us. And we were all laying on the floor looking at the galaxy lights because I always pack those when I go anywhere. There's such a vibe. And we were laying on the floor and listening to music. And I was just like, do you guys ever think about how blessed we are to have each other? And my friend Edwin looked over at me and he was like, all the damn time. I am so freaking grateful. And I was like, how do you think we got here? Like, how did this get created? Because another friend of mine who's not as integrated into this whole group was like, how did you guys get there? And I was asking them, like, how did we get here? And, you know, they shared a bunch of different ideas from the vulnerability and our past experiences and pain and shared passions. We like to snowboard. We like to do these cabin weekends. We like to do all these different things together. And certainly time has been a big factor in that, but it's been so healing. And I'm, I am so grateful for yeah, for those friendship breakups. And I am passionate about being a really good friend. Stan and I were so lucky to be invited to one of those Mm -hmm. cabin getaways for Hung's birthday. And we were also so amazed. And before that, we also had a cabin getaway with us and Julie and Carl. And the wild thing is, I just, this always like makes me tear up because I had this cabin I think I told you, like, it was my mom's friends and I, like, put money down on it, like, couldn't get it back. And I, none of my friends wanted to come up. And I had met you and Julia once before that. And I have no idea why I texted you out of all people. I think it kind of, like, I was like, oh, they're in Colorado. Like, meeting in Utah would be cool. But I never in my life expected y'all to say yes. Like, Stan and I were like, they're going to be a no. Who else? And then, like, you not only said yes, but you also showed up. And that was just a wild experience. And I think my big takeaway from that and being in the group in Colorado, which was so special and so fun, is that you're not afraid to invest in the people that you care about. The time, the money to travel, the thoughtful gifts, the words, like the messages you send me. And it doesn't take much, but it also means a lot. And I think so many people crave that. I've always been jealous of people who have like a group of friends from high school and they all get together and and I've always wanted that. And that was my word of the year is home and like creating home in my friendships. So I'm wondering, I think what a lot of people struggle with as they're on a path of self-love is that many of their friendships change. Dynamics change, maybe you know, used to go to the gym with someone all the time or talk about dieting and working out and I don't know, fashion trends or whatever some of those surface level things are. And then once you start getting to know yourself that it just doesn't interest you as much anymore. And I found myself outgrowing certain friendships in many regards, not just that. But I'm wondering what your advice is for people who who are dealing with that. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's very easy. And this was what uh, kind of a place I was in for a number of years after I lost my high school group of friends. I think I would see, you know, on Instagram and social media, I would see these groups of people and I'm like, oh, like, how do I get that? How do I get in? I just want that. And I had this feeling, and this has been a pretty powerful revelation that Hung has helped me see. I had this feeling that I needed to wait for some some group or some people to accept me in and to like me. And what I've realized is in order to create the richness and the depth of friendship, shared experiences are really important. And so I think taking things beyond like a coffee date is way more powerful. Like go do something together, overcome a challenge together, go see something, go somewhere together. I think that 
allows for closeness to happen a lot faster. And then also, if you don't know who to ask or where to get these friends, be the activator. Don't wait for a group to accept you. Activate connection. And it can feel scary, especially when you're feeling insecure in that regard. But it's such a gift because all of us as humans want connection. And so if we can assume the role to get people to connect and have shared experiences like you did. You reached out to Julia and Carl and Hung and I, and we all kind of knew each other, but you activated an experience and we all said yes, and we could have said no, and people will say no. But because you went out on a limb and did that, and we said, yes, we had this really cool experience and a friendship was created. And so I think if you can you know, look at the people who maybe, maybe you're not sure if they'd say yes, or you're like, these aren't the people that you go do cabins with. I've only met them once or I've only talked to them on social media. It's like, okay, well, how do you get to that level? You have to break that barrier somehow. So activate. And one of the things that I've been doing the last few years is I treat people as if we're better friends than we are yet. Mm -hmm. And so I do things for them at the level of what a really close friend would maybe do. Remembering their birthdays and trying to be intentional and remembering the things that we talked about last time and following up and asking how that thing is going in their life or just taking interest in the things that they have going on. Also, I think something that Hung has taught me is to add value to a situation. If you get invited, for example, the other day, Hung and I were invited to hang out with this group that we really didn't know. We knew one girl. And so we went to the park and to be somebody who doesn't go, okay, I'm just going to figure out what the group dynamic is and I'm going to kind of sit back and I'm the outsider. Instead, think about coming into these situations and going, how can I add value to this? Because people love it when somebody adds value. And so when I was trying to get closer with the friends I have now and we would do these cabin weekends, I'm like, how do I make this better? What can I bring that maybe somebody else isn't bringing? And so that's when Hung and I were like, well, we're going to bring our speaker. We're going to bring, you know, these galaxy lights to set the mood. We're going to bring things that add value so that we leave an impression, we leave a mark. And I think, you know, so much of being an adult and trying to figure out friendship is a lot of sitting and waiting. It's not going to come knock at your door. You have to have the awkward experiences. You have to fumble through things (laughs) in order to get there. Yeah. Oh, wow. I feel like, oh my gosh, you could make a whole new Instagram platform and course just about how to make friends as an adult because I'm already learning so much. (laughs) And the little things are the big things in that regard. Also, if anybody ever wants to like organize something, you can always blame it on us. Be like, Mary and Jesse did it. Yeah. Listen to this podcast. And I'm going to take a risk here. What do you think? (laughs) Want to (laughs) come? Well, even if you know, it doesn't have to be a sleepover party, although adult sleepovers are the shit. One thing that we did in Zion was, well, there are two things that really stuck out for me. First of all, it was that we all made food for each other and it was just sandwiches. But when you and Hung made sandwiches for us and treated it like a family, like we felt like your children and it was so lovely. And (laughs) the second thing was those sandwiches were in preparation for a hike. And that's to your point of like, overcoming a challenge together. It could be a hike. It could be like, hey, let's figure this out. A fucking Scrabble game, which is something that I bring out when we have people over because it seems so dorky. And yet that's when you bond. Yeah. Yes, totally. There's so many different ways to have experiences. And there's so many different things that you can do and you can interject into, you know, it doesn't have to just be a coffee date or let's go to dinner, like do something, like go do something together and be childlike, have a sleepover at an Airbnb, you know, stay up late and watch movies and play a game. Or I love we're not really strangers, like pick up that card game and ask each other fun, intentional questions do things that are awkward, like get, what's the other game? Um, what's the really, why am I drawing a blank? The really uh, funny game um, that just- kind of, Cards Against Humanity. Yeah, Cards Against That's humanity. not politically correct. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the, you know, things that just like push the boundaries are great bonding experiences. I really love that. And we actually shifted to what the meme. And again, I know it's really dorky, but what I like about it is that 
you get to know each other's sense of humor, like the dark, quirky things that make somebody else laugh that you would have never thought. Like we just found out that one of our really good friends has a really small tongue. And it was like the funniest thing. He like stuck out his tongue and it was so small. And, you know, we're a glass of wine in and we're just cracking up dying on the floor. And I think about that every day. And yeah, you're right. Just doing things. Wow. That is so, so helpful. I've been taking notes. Mm-hmm. To pivot, I know your friends and, and Hung have been there for you so much, especially over the past year, year and a half. So much has happened. A lot of that has been loss and grief, which you're more than welcome to touch on if you're comfortable. But what I specifically wanted to ask you about is you were also dealing with some health challenges and decided to get explant surgery. Can you tell us more about why you got implants? Because I just told Stan about my relationship with implants and how I was like, one step away from getting them because of the industry that we were in. So I'm curious what your experience was and then why you decided to take them out. How many years later? Like eight? Yeah, I think it was, yeah, I think maybe eight years. I, whenever I'm asked questions on specifics, I always like to preface that I have a, and I don't want to claim that I have a bad memory, but it's not awesome. So, and I preface with this because sometimes I'm like, man, somebody's going to hear me on a podcast, say one thing, and then on another podcast, say another thing. And they're going to think I'm a liar, but it's honestly because I don't have a great memory. I've like have gone to the neurologist and gotten tested to see if anything's wrong with my brain. Anyways, all that to say, yeah, I think it was eight years, but yeah, I got the implants because I was competing and I felt like the reason that I lost in my first competition as in got second place and not first place was because, well, I was told I was not proportional up top. And I'm like, okay, well, there's no exercise in the world in the gym. That's going to grow me a set of boobs. And the gal that beat me had implants. And so that kind of became what I thought I needed to do. And I was insecure about my chest. And also I didn't know this at the time. I didn't even know this until I went to get them out, which just blows my mind. I had this I guess it's even considered a deformity. I had underdeveloped breast tissue. I didn't get my period until I was like 20 years old and it had to be induced via birth control. And so I was just underdeveloped. I was always late in everything. I didn't lose my teeth until like way later. I was small. I just like, I was underdeveloped and my breast tissue was underdeveloped. And I just thought, oh, they're just kind of weird looking and I don't like it. And I was insecure about it. And I found this out when my, Explant surgeon asked me to get my operating report so that he could see how the implants were put in before he took them out. And so I got this from my old surgeon and I was reading through it. And I can't even remember the name of what this deformity was. But basically, when I looked it all up, it's an underdevelopment of breast tissue. It can be caused by trauma at a young age, it can be caused by hormonal imbalances, whatever. And so I was pretty insecure. And I will say like, if I would have had that information and understood that then I might've gone and got some type of corrective surgery to feel a little more secure and and more balanced out. But yeah, the implants were out of just insecurity in my body image. And so with that said, I got them out last year and I had a number of different health issues, memory being one of them, brain fog. I feel so much better. And even today when Hung's trying to recall something and I'm like, oh, it was this. He's like, good job. And I'm like, hell yeah, I remember that and you didn't. So I feel like it's getting better. And I I had this horrible rash on my face. There was just a lot going on, but I decided to get them out because I just had this feeling that they weren't supporting my health and that some of what I was dealing with could be linked to them. And I just didn't want to risk it. I came to a place where I was so, so much more comfortable in my own body. I truly believed I was more than my body. And I was certainly nervous because my husband met me with implants and I was about to get them out. And I, I didn't know what I was going to look like. He didn't know what I was going to look like, but it's been really, really grateful. I did it. I feel so free. My neck and back feel so much better. They're so freaking heavy. I cannot believe I wore those around my neck for like seven, eight years. But yeah, it's been great to have them out. Wow. How do you feel when you look in the mirror? They're not perfect at all, but the surgeon did a really great job. He definitely level set expectations under promise and I think over delivered. 
And yeah, I'm very grateful. I feel, you know, they're just little, Hung calls them happy handfuls. <laughs> so they're really tiny now, but I feel, I feel healthy and that's what I was going for. And so I'm really grateful. I feel, I just feel free. Yeah. And that's a really big, brave decision. I would say like, from my perspective, way more so than going under the knife to put them in. I mean, an explant procedure, from what I know, and I'm sure you you know a lot more, but it's a big, difficult surgery that not many surgeons even do. And there's things that can go wrong and not to mention the body image aspect of it and the cost. Isn't it like twice as much to get them out as to put them in? Yes. It was really expensive and insurance doesn't cover any of it, or at least some insurances will, I don't know how it all works, but mine didn't. I paid for it. It cost me 17 grand out of pocket to get them out. It was yeah, gut-wrenching. We flew to California and this is how bad my memory is. I'm like, what was my surgeon's name again? Dr. Chun, I believe was his name. Gosh, that's so bad. It was literally just last summer, but he was highly sought after. All he does is explant surgery. And so I felt very comfortable. You need to go to a surgeon who specializes in explants because they need to get out all of the implant and the surrounding capsule that forms around your implants, or you can still have symptoms of breast implant illness. And so, yeah, it is a big surgery. And I also had a lift done, which was also invasive. And so, yeah, it was pretty intense. I was not allowed to do hardly anything, like nothing. Like I kept getting yelled at by my surgeon because he said I was moving too much because I was moving my thumb to play on my phone while I was recovering. So yeah, it was pretty intense. And I had drains in for almost two weeks to drain the excess fluid. So it was big, but it was also, I mean, there was no pain involved. I think I took painkillers one day and then I was fine. So I love that you vulnerably documented that process and especially just being in the hotel room, recovering in California, coming back, you and your husband. And, you know, when you can't do anything, that's such a moment of surrender to your partner because they have to do everything for me. And the only time I can recall that happening with Stan and I is when I got the vaccine and I couldn't lift my arm to put my hair in a ponytail. So Stan put it in for me and it still felt so like vulnerable. So I'm wondering, kind of a controversial question. We're on the podcast, so like we can be honest and there's nowhere to really comment unless somebody leaves us a bad review, which I'm willing to <laughs> I'm willing to do. It. How do you feel about things like Botox and lip fillers and those kinds of like smaller cosmetic procedures? Mm -hmm. Here's how I feel about any cosmetic procedure. I don't think any of us have the right to judge anybody. And I think in order to live in alignment with what feels right for you, you have to filter your decisions through a variety of lenses. It's like financially, does this make sense? Or does this put me or my family in a bad place because I'm spending this much to do X, Y, and Z? Like I filter my beauty decisions through that's one lens. I also, I want to ensure that the things that I do, I get Botox. I've considered filler, but it looks really painful. So I think I'm going to stay away from that. I don't think we have the right to judge one another. And I think different realities can exist and we can all be very passionate about our reality without discrediting another human because they decide to get Botox or they decide to get implants. It's not somebody's entire identity that they decide to do some cosmetic procedure. And it's unfair of us to judge the whole person because they decide to do something for themselves. I preach that women should have the right to age and I simultaneously get Botox. So what does that mean? Am I at war within myself? Is there a conflict within me? Uh, I have 
done a lot of introspective work to feel peace about this decision. And I have friends in my life who will spend a lot on designer things. And I just could give two shits about designer anything. And I don't judge them. Like if that's what gets them going and they feel good about that, hell yeah, good for them. I also have friends who are super hippies and they look at me and they're like, oh my God, the makeup and the, and the Botox and the, this and the, that like Jays. And I love them just as much. And so I think it's about what feels right for us. And I think if we just judge people less, we'll all live in more peace. And yeah, I like not having deep 11s between my eyebrows. So I go and get Botox to freeze that so I don't look like I'm frowning all the time. And do I feel guilt or shame about that? Or like I'm not secure in my body image? Absolutely not. And I think maybe some people rely on these things to feel worthy. And that's where I always challenge myself. Like I'll get into certain beauty routines. Like in the summer, I like to do sunless tanner. And then I'll feel like really not good when I'm super pasty. And then I'll just go for a while being super pasty and I'll just find myself again and find peace in that. And I had to do that when I had this rash because I didn't know what was triggering it. So I didn't do anything hardly. I hardly wore no makeup, nothing. And being able to find myself in that has been really cool. And then also I'm like, heck yeah, now I can wear some makeup and it feels good. And I just, yeah, it's kind of my perspective on all of it. Hey, self-lovers, just a quick break to tell you that this episode is made possible by my partnership with Athletic Greens, a green drink that I've been having literally every single morning. I've heard so many ads for AG1 by Athletic Greens, and I wanted to know what all the hype was about. Like, I was really curious, and let me tell you, it did not disappoint. FYI, you know that because of my background in bodybuilding and just seeing how incredibly shady the industry can be, I am incredibly picky with my supplements and there's not many I will actually put in my body just because I've seen the junk they can put in there. But AG1 is transparent with the ingredients and there are no nasty chemicals or artificial anything and it surprisingly still tastes amazing. AG1 is a greens drink with 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, adaptogens to support your gut health, nervous system, immune system, energy recovery, and focus. I've truly just felt so great since I've started drinking Athletic Greens every single morning. It just gives me energy. I don't have any brain fog. It sustains me throughout the day. Sometimes I don't I don't even need coffee when I drink Athletic Greens because I'm just like excited to take care of my body, my health, and just feel good doing it. I also love AG1 because it gives me this sort of nutritional insurance. So if I go a day or two without eating a vegetable, it's all good. I know I'm still getting my nutrients in with AG1. No need for a million different pills and supplements. You can look out for your health by taking one scoop of AG1 and a cup of water every day like I do. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash cup of tea. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash cup of tea to try AG1 and take care of your body by giving it this daily nutritional insurance. For sure. I think it perfectly ties into the conversation that we had on your podcast, which I highly recommend all our self-lovers go over there and listen. And with what we we're talking about at the beginning with friends is that the highest level of self-love is really accepting when you accept yourself for who you are, you accept your friends for who they are too, and realize that you don't need to change somebody or judge them or criticize them. And really it's a mirror. Like as you were talking about, like, do I use I don't know if you said Botox, but do I use this as a sense of validation and where I get my worth from? And you know, your answer to that question was no. I can write you a list of toxic shit I do to get self-worth and validation. Mm-hmm. That's probably way worse than Botox. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, totally. So even if the answer was yes, like even if it was yes, who are you to judge or critique somebody else? you know, perception is projection. It's all just reflective of how you feel about your own body image that somebody else's cosmetic procedure is triggering you. 
Mm -hmm. Totally. I think anytime we're triggered, it's an opportunity to look within. And if we have the willingness to pause and not be reactive and instead say, what is firing inside of me that's causing me to want to pass judgment? And I think part of healing is recognizing how exhausting it is to be so judgmental. And I think a lot of us don't realize just how judgmental we are. If you're struggling with negative self-talk and you know negative body image, you're likely judging a lot of other people too. Because the way we do one thing is the way we do everything. And it's so powerful to begin releasing judgment and just becoming an observer instead of things and other people and refraining from making a judgment about whatever's going on. Because As we start to do that for others, we develop a little bit more compassion and grace, and that same energy begins to turn inward, and it feels so incredibly freeing. I don't have to understand why this woman spends all this money doing X, Y, and Z, but her reality is not a threat to my own. You know, if it makes her feel good, then go for it, girl. You know, you do you, and I'm going to do me, and I can be very passionate about my beliefs. And so can you, and we can be very different in that, but we don't have to be so threatened by one another. And I think that's where this society is so toxic. We're so threatened by one another's differences. And, you know, it's so powerful is what I'm so grateful for in my friend group is we're all of very different beliefs. Like we have different religious beliefs, different political beliefs, all these different beliefs. And yet we're all friends. And I think that says something about the level of self-acceptance, like you said, and just conscious maturity to be able to understand that differences are what allow us to grow. Can I challenge us a little bit not to like beat a dead horse here because I do want to move on. I asked you because I'm personally, I have mixed feelings about it and I'm having a hard time reconciling these parts of me, especially recently. Last week, I watched a documentary by Mariana DeZeller, who's an incredible documentarian, and she's currently on her second season of a show called Trafficked, and it's all about black market stuff. And we watched the black market of marijuana, the black market of organs. You know, some of this stuff gave me nightmares. I do not recommend watching it late at night. And one of those was the black market of injections and how there are huge industries, especially in places like Miami, Atlanta, LA where the beauty standard has gotten so intense. And from the work that I do, and in my opinion, can easily be traced back to certain celebrity influences or messages we receive from society that nobody is stopping. And actually, like certain celebrity influences whose stuff we love and buy and music we listen to and applaud as a figure of empowerment. And just depending on who you ask, and there's many people that I'm sure a lot of us are thinking of as I'm saying this, and watching this documentary about the people dying at these surgery centers, and she has a whole separate episode about overseas procedures. So this is just in the U.S., and there's a whole industry all over the world that is dangerous and where, you know, the Brazilian butt lifts and injections and they start, the silicone starts leaking and it's killing people and people are getting shot and it's so illegal and the surgeons are getting away with it and the board's not getting involved because they're afraid and there's a lobbying, like all of this stuff. And sometimes I get, I hurt for my younger self, but I'm also like a grown ass woman. I can figure my shit out and somebody else's reality, like you said, does not threaten my own. And I have a little sister who's almost 14 and I'm hoping to have kids and I see certain stuff on internet and on on TikTok and my heart just breaks because, you know, I think certain beauty procedures are positioned as a source of empowerment. Even if you walk into Sephora and I fall for that shit, I buy that shit, I entertain so many beauty things and I'm totally not against even some injections or procedures or whatever especially as I age, I don't know how I'm going to feel about that. So who am I to say? So I feel for the people whose body image is hurting. And sometimes I I just think like, wow, if we could all just like stop feeding into it, the world could be such a more healed place. And that's the part of me that gets passionate. And I think that's one thing people see in me on social media is that sometimes I show up as like super chill, do you? And other times I show up in a way that I'm not exactly proud of when I do get like 
angry and, you know, some might call it passionate, but other people will mistake it. And, you know, I can't say that I'm not guilty of it actually being angry at certain things. So anywho, just for the sake of a little bit of an interesting yet challenging conversation, do you ever think about that? You know, I think you bring up some really good points and I don't have the answer to how do we navigate all of this? And I oftentimes, when I think about our problems and our challenges from this global high-level perspective, it feels for me incredibly disempowering because how in the world am I going to change that? It's a lot to break down. And so what I always come back to, whether this is right or wrong, this is just what I do. What I always come back to is I don't know how I'm going to change the world, but I do know that I can change myself and my family legacy. And so if I can do that and I can influence my immediate circles, there will be a ripple effect. And I think what we were talking about on my podcast was, or maybe this was earlier in our show here, but how do we be empowered in our own situation? What role do we play? And how do we protect ourselves? And maybe in that, for me, I've stopped feeding into it. And instead of advocating against it, I believe that the most valuable thing I can give or not give is my attention. And so I don't give it there. And I've trained myself not to give it to those places. And attention is dollar signs. And because I don't give my attention to all of that, my money's not going to all of that. And so I'm not sucked into that the way that I used to be. And obviously this is easier said than done because it's everywhere and it's bombarding us. And yet for me, I have found this security within that I no longer get sucked into those silos. So I I don't know if I have the right answer, but I do think that my perspective or what has protected me and set me free is focusing on what I can focus on. And that's where I give my attention, what I sink my eyes and my ears and my heart into. And as a result, encouraging others who are in my world, my clients who I support to do the same, protect your attention, you know, don't give it to those places because where we focus is how we're going to feel, what we're going to manifest, what we're going to give our money to, what's going to continue to perpetuate. And so I don't know if that's right or wrong, but it's a big value of mine is freedom. And when I think about how great the world's problems are, there's so many of them, I get incredibly overwhelmed. I get anxious. I get discouraged. And I feel like, how is anything ever going to change? And where I feel free is when I'm focusing on how I can make a difference, how I can impact the people in my life, how I can impact my clients and staying in the lane of what I know and how I can be the best at what I know and make the biggest impact in that way. And hopefully somebody who has maybe those bigger answers will be empowered to tackle those things. So I don't know if that really answers your question, but that's kind of my perspective on all of it. It's a reminder of something I repeatedly say to my retreat attendees, which is where attention goes, energy flows, and what you focus on grows. Mm-hmm. 100%. I love that. Thank you for answering that. That was a selfish pursuit. Mm-hmm. No, it's good. It's a hard topic. It is. I get worked up over these things too, because I start to think like that. Well, like, if these celebrities didn't keep perpetuating these messages, you know, we wouldn't have to keep fighting these things. And I'm grateful for where I'm at in such a solid place in my own body image and self-worth. And I want to advocate for those who aren't in those places and they're being incredibly impacted by these things. And I guess what set me free from that was training myself to develop resilience against those things so they don't impact me as much. When I look at those things and I'm like, oh, that does not make me feel good. I've developed the skill of pivoting my attention and mentally reframing so that You know, I just like, nope, that's not where my attention is going to go. Not there. Yeah. I love that. Thank you. Mm -hmm. I want to pivot our attention into something juicier and hopefully a little less doom and gloom and more inspiring and sexy. You told me on a personal note that you've been exploring the connection between pleasure and sexuality and how that opens doors to healing binge and emotional overeating. 
which you've been teaching for years. And now I love this new arsenal that you've been kind of teasing. So could you give us more insight into what you've been learning, what you're teaching in the Food Freedom Online Program that's pleasure-related and also other tools for healing binge eating? Mm, Yes. It's interesting. Those of you listening who are struggling with binge and emotional overeating, body image challenges, you know, an interesting question to explore is, do I also feel like there's any challenge in my sexual health or sexual empowerment? Yeah. My journey with sexuality. Do I feel empowered in that department? We often talk about how we need to, you know, balance mind, body, spirit. We need to focus on our mental, emotional, and physical health, but we often leave out of the conversation our sexual health and well-being. And that's incredibly, incredibly important. And I continue to study. One of my goals is to be the best I possibly can be at helping individuals collapse the time between struggling in the cycles of binge and emotional overeating and finding freedom and becoming successful intuitive eaters. And the cool thing about intuitive eating is intuitive eaters don't have portion control problems for everybody who feels like that's a fear because they've tried. There's likely components that have not been fully integrated in order to become the intuitive eater that you're hoping to become. But I'm constantly researching and studying how do we collapse this time? How do we support individuals from a holistic lens? Because these struggles are dynamic and they affect every area of our life and vice versa. Every area of our life is affecting our relationship with food and our body. And so a really unique and exciting intersection that I've been learning about recently is the principles of pleasure, the importance of pleasure in healing. And I've talked about this inside the Food Freedom Online program for years and years and years, that 50% of the healing journey is active in nature, where we're focusing on specific recovery work related to food and related to body. And, you know, we're doing things that, you know, we're learning new information, we're learning new tools related to that. But then 50%, in my opinion, is what I've called in the last number of years, passive work. I say passive because it doesn't seem as in your face as, you know, specific tools related to navigating the impulse to binge, but it's incredibly important. And those are things like play, doing things for the fun of it, rest and pleasure. And we hear those things are like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. But what does that really mean? And what we see in research is that individuals who are successfully intuitively eating as in they eat when they're hungry, they're able to stop when they notice and feel their body's fullness and satiety. And they maintain balance effortlessly without macro tracking apps, without calorie counting apps, without meal plans, have high levels of what's known as introceptive awareness. And introceptive awareness is our ability to know what's happening inside of our body. And some individuals who have high levels of introceptive awareness might be acutely aware of their heart rate. They might know or be able to feel when they're ovulating. They can feel into and detect early signs of muscle tension. And those who are intuitively eating are able to feel hunger, fullness, and satiety cues. And some of you, when you hear that, I I remember the first time I heard about intuitive eating and somebody explained it to me as you eat when you're hungry, you stop when you're full. I just, I remember thinking it's laughable because if I listened to my hunger and fullness cues, I would be elbow deep in a tub of ice cream every night. I'm always hungry. It doesn't matter if I've reached biological or I'm always wanting to eat. Even if I've reached biological fullness, I want more and more and more in order to be satisfied. I never dreamed I would be at this place where I effortlessly maintain balance with food and I lose interest in food when I'm full and I don't feel this impulsiveness to binge and I can have you know, all my former trigger foods in the house and I don't go crazy on them and I genuinely crave nutrient-rich food and I enjoy sweets. Like I never thought I could be in this place. And if you're feeling like you don't know how to feel your hunger, fullness, and satiety cues, or you don't even know how to listen to them, you might be lacking or have lower levels of introceptive awareness. So it becomes important that we strengthen that skill. And fortunately, we're able to do that through a number of different tools and techniques, things that I teach my clients inside of our program 
And also one of those really exciting techniques is through receiving pleasure, whether that's in partnership with somebody else or through self-pleasure. And research in the field of sexology has shown that individuals who are more comfortable in connecting with their body, with masturbation, with self-pleasure, also score higher on introceptive awareness. They are more connected to feeling what's happening inside of their body. And so self-pleasure can be a tool to increasing our connection with our body, which is incredibly important in healing our relationship with food. We have to attune ourselves back to our body and detach from being connected to these apps that tell us what to eat or meal plans or rules because our body truly knows best if we can start to trust it again after what I call is the messy middle where you kind of feel like you're going crazy with food. Everybody goes through that. So it's exciting to know that self-pleasure can be a tool to coming home to our body. And I know there's a lot to unpack in terms of the shame and the stigma and the guilt and the lack of information for women around being empowered in their bodies. But yeah, it's been something I've been very, very excited about because my own healing journey with food also brought me to a healing journey with sexuality and and how I feel in my body. I really resonate with that. I was thinking about how, you know, just the disconnect between how boys are raised and men grow up to believe that like self-pleasure getting off is an important part of their health, right? Like if you catch your teen son masturbating, like that's healthy. That's normal. He's supposed to be doing that. You know, there's a messaging about like boners are normal. And like, that's something that men grow up not feeling ashamed of. And it's even, you know, weaponized when people betray their partner and cheat and it's blamed on the desires, the right? And historically, men have always had like a mistress and that kind of stuff because the messaging was always around like how important it was for men to get sex. And I love this new research because for the first time ever, we're actually exploring and getting to know women and women's bodies and that, hello, we have needs too. And sometimes I feel like I'm a (laughs) more sexual creature than my male counterpart. And that's what excites me because it's really liberating. And I love how it trickles in, like you said, to other areas of your life, especially eating, because like I see the direct connection. And I think through listening to you, our listeners are too, where it's like, I'm struggling to intuitive eat because I'm I'm struggling to trust myself because I'm not in tune with myself because I don't have that introspective awareness. Well, where else does that show up? Well, maybe I have a hard time having an orgasm or even opening myself up to somebody or making extended eye contact, like those intimate moments too. And like you said, how you do small things is how you do all things. Mm-hmm. Totally. And researchers and scientists in the field of sexology know that accessing pleasure is imperative to optimal health. And yet we feel shame around something that helps allow us to be optimally healthy. They believe that sexual stimulation can help with chronic health issues and can help reduce the need for sleeping pills, can help reduce the need for antidepressants, and can help in managing generalized anxiety disorders. And this is a very natural thing. We're born with this. And yet we feel shame around being connected to our body and we don't talk about it. And, you know, the female body is so misunderstood and, you know, women are faking orgasms and really feeling so incredibly disempowered in their sexual journey. And it's like, we expect it to be like the movies, just this magical thing that happens. And the movies are such a terrible representation of what does it for women. It's all based around the male idea of sex. And it's so unfair and it's disempowering and it's another form of women's oppression. And it's exciting to challenge these ideas and to think, man, maybe, maybe my way of thinking has been conditioned by the patriarchy and it's limiting and maybe there's opportunity for me to become empowered. Yeah. Even the word we use like penetration, that's from the male gaze. Why don't we say 
I enveloped him, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. I learned that from a sociolinguist who's, who studies how the patriarchy has shaped our language. Her name is Amanda Montel, and, and the book that I'm obsessed with, it's called Word Slut. And there's a lot of interesting things like that that just make light bulbs go off in your head and how language shapes our reality. I'm wondering, what does pleasure look like for you, both solo and with a partner or with a partner? I'm hoping you'll say it's with hung, but yes, whatever yes. which way, whatever way you swing, I'm good with. And yeah, I mean, we're 52 minutes into the episode, mm-hmm. so people who are listening love you and are here Aww. for you. So as many juicy details <laughs> as you can share, another selfish pursuit of mine, I would love to know. Yes. Oh, it's been an evolving journey for sure. Yeah. Pleasure looks like a lot of different things and it's not just sexual pleasure. It's prioritizing things like massages. You know, right before I started this episode, I was scratching my head with a head scratcher and Mary's like, what the heck is that thing? What are you doing? And it's just, just feels good. (laughs) So pleasure is a priority for me and it should be a priority for all of us if we want to access optimal health. And when it comes to, you know, sexual pleasure in order for me to feel fulfilled in my marriage and our intimacy, I have to understand my body so I can communicate it. And so buying vibrators and exploring different ways of being with my body and feeling my body and, you know, what feels good. And then being able to communicate that to my partner in, you know, a safe environment and to try different things with him. And I'm thankful that we have gotten to the point it's taken years and lots of conversations and, you know, awkward moments to get to a point now where like our intimate moments look nothing like the movies. We'll break, we'll stop, we'll talk, and then we'll be laughing and then we'll be joking. And then sometimes it's really hot and steamy and it's everything in between. It's all these different things and it's fun and it includes vibrators and lube and all these different things are mixed in it. And fortunately, my husband's very open-minded and doesn't feel like this is a threat to his ability to perform, but rather sees it as an assistant that comes in and helps and supports in the process. And as women, we are dynamic. And, you know, for me to get off, it looks like a lot of different things. He's, you know, it's a lot more easy, more simple for him. But for me, it's like, I need a lot of different things. I need to emotionally feel a certain way. I need to be properly warmed up. I need to be, I will always want the vibrators. So we recently had a conversation where I said, you know, it would mean a lot if you want to have sex, if you got it all set up. Like it just doesn't happen spontaneously. I don't want to stay in the couch or stay in the bed. Like I want, I want my lube and I don't want to ruin everything. So like, if you would set it up, that would mean a lot. And so now I come upstairs and he's, the lube is being heated and the <laughs> sex toys are laid out, the better whatever's covered so we don't stain anything. And I'm like, this is it. The lights are turned on, the music is going. And we start, and oftentimes it starts with like an hour-long conversation of just how are you doing? And, you know, sitting there naked, just talking. And so it's it looks like all these different things, but it's been a fun journey of exploring and just we're continually learning. And I feel like I have so much still to learn, but it's exciting when there's, I think, conversation and we've taken courses and talked to our therapist and we're just very open. And that's been super helpful. I'm going to make Stan listen to this episode. (laughs) Drop a big hint. (laughs) Don't forget the galaxy (laughs) lights too. Those totally set the mood. We have them in our living room. For sure. Speaking of hung and your marriage, I would love to know, has that always been the case? You said he's very open and you're exploring. And how many years have you been together? You've been married for? We've been married going on, yeah, going on five. Well, no, we just had our four year. I don't need to speed this year up. Yeah, we've been married four and some. We've been together for seven or eight. And it hasn't always been, I mean, we fumbled a lot, you know, this awkwardness and just like fumbling through things. But we've, been willing to learn and he's always been willing to learn. And sometimes my conversations and the way I communicate have been challenging for him and have resulted in fights and arguments and feelings of I'm not good enough and I can never be enough or do enough for you. And other times they've been really productive and all of it has been productive because we both have an open mind, but yeah, it hasn't always been super easy. 
I mean, our fights in the beginning were explosive and I mean, never physical towards each other, but I mean, things have been broken and, you know, cups have gone through windows and things like that. And now that's just, we look back and we're like, whoa, that was exhausting to fight that way. And now, you know, when we fight, it's like, do you want to have an adult conversation? Yeah, I do. Okay, let's have it. And so it's a lot more grounded. And with sex, it used to be very awkward to figure out how to do things the way each other liked. And through time and having conversations, we feel more comfortable talking about it. And so it's been an evolution. I ask because I think a lot of people in just feeling sexual shame for so long and not knowing their bodies and being in a certain flow with their partner, getting comfortable and stuff, sometimes it does feel hopeless or like it could never change or like it's too awkward to even deal with. And I think the same could apply or does apply to a lot of people's relationships and when they're struggling with food and body image and their partner doesn't quite get it. One of my final questions is, and I know you work with a lot of women, I'm sure, who are in relationships and ask you about this, but when you're teaching them these tools about binge eating, for example, how do you coach them around like communicating to your partner the way you need or want to be supported without emotionally dumping on them or like expecting them to know everything before having a chance to learn? What can people tell their partners about? food and body image or self-love in general that would open up that intimacy and allow for that growth, especially if people are feeling hopeless, helpless, and like it's, you know, impossible. Mm, Yeah. I think that the way to access more openness is to seek to understand before trying to be understood. And that has been pretty pivotal in my relationship. And I think it's it's such a beautiful way to approach relationships. We all want to be understood and we want to be heard and seen and acknowledged and made to feel special and important. And when you're not getting those needs met, you know, we fight to be seen and we fight to get those needs met. But I think sometimes if we can imagine our partner has the same needs and we can seek to understand them first, this really natural thing happens where it can feel more of more in flow and less of a force where within all of us, we have this desire to reciprocate. The gift of reciprocity is when I feel something, I want to reciprocate that. And so instead of forcing your partner to give you something to listen, to understand, maybe seeking to understand their sexual desires and fantasies and hopes and, you know, opening up the conversation to try and see into their world and see how they're doing, notice the little things and ask them, what internal battles they've been fighting that they've been quiet about. And, you know, just seeking that first, I think, can prime the relationship for being understood. I don't think a lot of people approach things that way. It's like they try to over-communicate. And sometimes it's very simple. Sometimes they just want to be understood. And when somebody's understood, they're way more open to understand you. So maybe just try doing it first. I'm super guilty of that. I over-communicate. Same, same. And I see how it falls flat a lot of times and I get frustrated because I'm like, I'm doing such a good job of explaining in depth exactly what I'm needing and why aren't you getting it? And I think what we have to remember about communication is it's not just verbal, it's energetic. And they might have these energy needs that aren't being met and maybe they don't even know how to communicate those. And so how do we navigate that and see what's not being spoken. Mm. I love that you say that, especially knowing that you and Hung have differences in culture and language and everything. I'm sure this is coming from some experience too of learning to be in that relationship and to see each other for who one is, like, you know, the connection there. Jesse, this has been so rewarding and fulfilling. I feel like we didn't talk about tools for healing binge eating outside of pleasure. And for that, I want to, I'm actually kind of glad because I want to invite people to follow you on TikTok and Instagram and explore your food freedom online program, which I'll have the link for in the description for everybody. 
So hopefully this gives everybody a little teaser. But before we close, I'm wondering, is there anything I didn't ask that you wish I did? Mm, no, I, I'm really grateful for all that we discussed. I hope those of you listening feel empowered to understand that healing is so dynamic. Think about healing in terms of needing to understand it's not rocket science, but it is multifaceted. So today we talked about pleasure and the importance of pleasure and, you know, explore that and know that that's one aspect of healing and don't get discouraged if you've learned a few aspects of how to heal and you haven't connected all the dots because there's a lot, but it's not rocket science. There's layers to it. So I, I love our conversation. I'm so grateful to be back. Likewise, likewise. Okay, everyone, thank you for listening. Please make sure to follow Jesse at Jesse Jean, G E S S I J E A. Is it N N N at the end on Instagram? Two, three N's? Yes, J E S S I J E A N N N. Yes, everywhere Instagram, TikTok. And your TikToks have been filled with so much gold. Oh my gosh, you're giving away everything. Sometimes I'm like, I cannot believe this girl's page is free. Like I'm stealing from you. So definitely check out Jessie on TikTok and her podcast, The Dear Body Podcast, which I was on recently as well. So you can go listen to that interview. Yes. The link is also in the description. But yeah, thank you everybody for listening. Oh, 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 screenshot this episode and tag us on the Instagram because it's always so fun, especially with interview episodes when both of us are tagged and we get to see who's listening. So please share this episode. And thank you so much, Jesse, from the bottom of my heart. I love you. And I can't wait to see you hopefully here in Arizona next month. Yes. Ditto. You're the best girl. Hey, self-lovers, one last little thing before we farewell. If you've been enjoying the Mary's Cup of Tea podcast, I would greatly appreciate it if you could leave a, re- leave a review. <laughs> if you could leave a review on Apple or rate the show on Spotify. Your feedback helps the podcast grow. And as someone whose love language is words of affirmation, your kind words mean the world to me. Just search the show on Apple, scroll all the way down where you'll see a place to weave a review. (laughs) And if you're listening on Spotify, on the show's homepage, you'll see a little star. And if you click on that, there'll be a pop-up box where you can send in your rating. Thank you so much for helping me spread the gift of self-love. And speaking of the gift of self-love, that is the title of my book, You can pick it up at any bookstore, including Amazon, Target, Barnes & Noble, small indie bookstores. All those links can be found at maryscupoftea.com slash book. Thank you all so much for learning and growing and continuing to be on this self-love journey. It's truly an honor to be here with you. I love you, and I will talk to you next time. And please, please don't forget to leave a review. (laughs) Bye!